Ashley is here with us today and she's a dear friend of mine. Welcome, Barb. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Nice to see you. Um, Barb and I met at the, well, I think we met on Facebook in 2015, but we've also done a bunch of events at the Pennsylvania German Cultural Heritage Center since then. I believe probably we met somewhere online. Um, I was probably doing a lot of poking around to get information for my research for grad school and Barb probably chimed in to help me out. Um, so we've known each other for quite a few years. So five years now and yep. Barb and Rick, and I, I will mess up his name, Rick, please help Iskowitz. me with his last name. Iskowitz. Oh, who is also a wonderful artist, a photographer. They would both vend and, well, you wouldn't necessarily vend, but you would do the hearth kitchen at the Heritage Center and, and Rick would these beautiful photographs. So Barbie's here today. He is a person who does living history interpretations of the traditional women's work around the home in the 18th and 19th centuries in Pennsylvania. And she leans more towards the Pennsylvania German country lifestyle. So that's sort of a little bit about Barb. So if you'd like to just chime in about a little bit more about that, that's so fascinating. I asked Barb what the proper term was to use. So I love that. Um, living history interpretations. Yes. Well, I started doing demonstrating actually more for the textile side of uh, things, uh, knitting and spinning when I belonged to a fiber guild in Birdsboro. And uh, that sort of progressed into other areas. That was probably 30 years ago. I've been doing this for a long time. Um, so then it, it, I demonstrated rug braiding at the Hay Creek Fall Festival at Joanna Furnace. And um, then as time progressed, I got into um, uh, open fire cooking and then hearth cooking and natural dyeing of fi uh, wool fibers. And um, then several years ago, Hay Creek needed somebody to step in to do some uh, food preservation before refrigeration. So I thought, well, that's an interesting topic. And I started researching it and it just kind of took off because it's such a vast topic. And it's really very interesting. And I've really fallen into it <laughs> a lot. So um, it's really interesting. So um, it, it's, uh, people are really interested. They come up to our, our booth or our demonstration area and some of them just stay there for 20 minutes or more. They're, they're fascinated by, by the things that we demonstrate. Um, especially how to preserve eggs. So when you were in the 18th century or the 19th century, a housewife had to think months ahead because if it's spring and summer and your hens are laying lots of eggs, you have to think about winter when your hens are not laying many eggs. So you're starting to preserve your eggs for winter in the summer already. So uh, do you want me to show and talk about preserving eggs now? So yeah. one of the, they tried all sorts of ways to preserve eggs. So they started out with putting them in salt. So a, wow. an eggshell is porous. So the salt drew the moisture out of the egg. So that didn't work well at all. Then they tried right. a, a brine and um, that that uh, too made the egg salty because it, the por porosity of the egg shell allowed the salt to get into the egg. Then they tried putting the uh, egg in bran. Well, that made it have a, like a moldy taste. And mm. they tried to uh, get a success rate that was high. Well, that had mm -hmm. a 70% failure rate. So that was not very successful. So then they tried just plain ashes from, I don't know if you can see this or not. Just plain, I'll say it again. Just plain ashes from the um, fire, fireplace. And oh. that actually was 60% uh, successful. 
think it was 65. Wow. Uh, and, and it was just plain ashes. So wow. then they thought, okay, they would try slaked lime. So they would take oyster shells and burn them and uh, then reconstitute that powder that they got and put an ounce of slaked lime to a quart of water. So wow. then uh, I just have an egg in, in a crock here. So you would make a liquid with the, the slaked lime, put your eggs in there, and that was 100% successful for eight months or more. Some, wow. eggs, stayed, some eggs stayed for uh, two years that way. Oh my goodness. And you're talking raw eggs, right? Not hard boiled. Yes, raw, raw eggs. Now you're not That's supposed to wash them because you want that protective coating on the egg right after it's laid. Gotcha. And, and you have to have the egg that's clean. So you need to keep your nests clean and not have any chicken poop on them. Gotcha. Wow. That's incredible. I had no idea. See, we're one of the families that will stand there and be captivated by Barb and the other friends. <laughs> because it's so neat to watch it. And I love the idea of calling it um, living history. Um, I, I did ask if you're considered, if you consider yourself a reenactor, but that's completely different. Um, but this living history, I love that. I love that, that name for it and that identification. So very, very cool. Yep. So you mentioned so, Creek and you do Pennsylvania German Cultural Heritage Center. Uh -huh. What other, what other um, places can people find you doing your living history demonstrations? Um, I do uh, Landis Valley Village and Farm Museum. And okay. at that venue, uh, we do natural dyeing. Um, oh. my friends and I, and, uh, you know, with the virus, everything is canceled this year, unfortunately. Yeah. So that's always in October. Mm -hmm. Yeah, October. So, uh, that's going to be canceled this year. Um, and you did Daniel Boone too, right? Did you do kind of like you stepped in yep. for some? I you started said working at Daniel Boone, or not working, but volunteering at Daniel yeah. Boone, uh, doing hearth cooking in the Boone house. And um, right now that's about the only places I, I volunteer. I recently moved up to Wernersville, so I'd like to check out uh, Conrad Weiser. Yeah, that's so cool. It's because it's just down the road from where I live. Oh, wow. That's awesome. Yeah. I don't get out that way too much. We'll have to come out and visit you. Yeah. I've not, I've never been to Conrad yeah. Weiser. Said. I've lived in Berks County practically my whole life and never mm -hmm. got there. So. Not funny. <laughs> <laughs> I know. I feel like Hunter's gotten us all around Berks County, all the different events we, we do and stuff, but we also saw your Kime homestead, that one event that they had there. Yes. That was that very was cool. Berks preservation trust. Yeah, uh, that's a one-time thing. Yes. That was really neat to see you there because um, Hunter's family goes back to the Kime Homestead and then I think somehow my family goes back to Daniel Boone. So like, I don't know, there's so much history here. It's so cool. So I'm sorry, I did interrupt you to let people know where they could see you. Did you have something else that you were going to move on to um, after the eggs? I think you were about to say something. Um, well, let me see. Uh, it's, it's interesting to uh, see how young kids respond to, yeah. to the living history things. Yes. Like some of them, they don't really care about it, but other kids are just sparked by something, something uh -huh. you say or something they see in your demonstration. And I try to make it interesting for kids. Um, I, I've shown over 800 kids how to make butter. And yes, you have. <laughs> <laughs> and, and it's interesting that, you know, some of them really get into it and, and others, it's like, oh, well, whole home, you know. So, yeah, yeah. All right. You know, if you just spark one kid that may be yeah. down the road sometime, he'll get interested and want to uh, get into living history and do it himself, that's, yeah. that's fine. That's, that's the goal. That's the reward. Yeah. It's funny you mentioned that because I was a little kid 
and we lived in Bucks County and had no, basically no connection to Pennsylvania Dutch culture and, and these really cool, um, the rich history in our area. But my grandmother was in Boyertown and she had us go to the Basha Hopin Festival. And mm -hmm. I was like, who was watching and was like, this is the coolest thing I've ever experienced. I remember the lady who was making soap and then we were carving soap. Uh -huh. And I just remember getting this, and I still get that nostalgic feeling from that time period when I go to these events and I get to see these things. So it does stick with, I think, a great many children, even if the, it's not overt, it's something that they take in their mind that it was a really cool experience. And Barb came to see our summer camp, I guess, two years ago and taught my little campers at the Montessori oh, School. Oh, that's right. Yeah. Butter. That was so much fun. Yeah. And that was really a lot of fun. So there's so much... Uh, I think the Heritage Center does a really good job. I, I'm not as familiar. I do know Hay Creek, they do a really great job too, but as far as the Heritage Center, our children actually attended the summer camp and you were, I think, almost every day doing something with them. Is that right? Or was it one of the days? It was, was it just one day there. Um, oh. Helped Becky Manley do um, hearth cooking. One year yeah. we did hand pies and one year we did pies and one year we did... Was it pot pie? I think it was the noodles because I remember my kids. Noodles, pot Yes, Henry he was four. So Maya was eight and they were really excited about it. Really excited. And I, I thought that was very, very cool. So I do think um, the book is so much about at the end, um, what are we doing to continue um, to preserve our living history? Um, and I think that this is really key to that, the work that you do, Barb. And it's so enjoyable to watch. And I love you always dress up and dress, you know, period clothing and make it just the whole entire experience is really fun. So I love, I love watching what you do. And, and boy, have you, you have really had some hot days at the Hay Creek Festival with you. When Hunter was there, I remember, I'll never forget that. Um, very, very hot in those outfits um, at, at sometimes, but it's so it's so neat to watch um and hang on let me get to my questions um i was going so to can say, you talk go ahead oh sure go ahead well i was going to say sometimes uh, i have uh, gotten uh something to talk about to kind of grab people's imagination yes. or their funny bone maybe so I ask people what this is and they they don't know and I say well this is a cow's bladder and I might have a real cow's bladder in water in a dish pan sitting there or I'll ask them what is that floating in the water and then I'll say you know tell them it's a cow's bladder and then that's what this is so you would put your food in the crock and then cover wow. it with a uh, malleable cow's bladder and tie it down and over the course of about four or five days it dries out and it gets nice and and firm and then you would put a piece of leather over this because it it can be punctured and then the leather would actually be an, another layer of protection for it so I tell them that this is the original saran wrap. Gotcha. Oh, that's so they, cool. It's like gold they get a, a kick out of seeing something kind of gross floating around in the in the sure. water and then see what actually it was used for. So that's another that's, thing that I do. And that's such a good thing to point out too, that nothing was ever wasted. Like how do you come to that's the conclusion bladder will work for that? But you probably just have it sitting around and everybody's looking at each other like, well, we're not going to eat it. <laughs> I don't yeah. know. That's very cool. Very, very cool. Well, I feel like with the pig's stomach. Yes. People used to stuff the pig's stomach yes. with sausage and uh, potatoes mm -hmm. and either boil it or roast it. And people love it. I'm not so fond of it, but. I've never had it in my insides. But it's so fun. Have you ever heard Chris LaRose's story about that? No. Oh my gosh, I've retold this story so many times. <clears throat> I saw him, I guess it was, and I'll forget the event. It's in March. Um, it starts with, starts with a Z, um, not for Somling, but um, it's out near Lancaster. What the heck is it called? 
It's up here where Patrick's from Lebanon. Oh my gosh, I'm totally blanking. Zamalaf, Zamalaf. Okay, I got it. Oh, okay. My brain's working. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Zamalaf is a really cool event too. And um, Chris LaRose and Doug Doug had like a shtick that they did. And uh, Chris talked about how he went to school when he was like a kindergartner on the bus of two pig stomachs to eat for lunch and just he was so excited to eat them and it was just so funny to hear him tell this story about how like the kids were looking at him like what the heck is that it's so interesting but um really so funny to hear him talk about it and brooms they would save all the broom handles <laughs> like a <laughs> but I feel like it's really fascinating because the work that you do and then the experience that I just had in the beginning of quarantine where everything was, well, you know, I was wondering where I could get flour. Um, everything was like gone and we couldn't get stuff. And it kind of reminded me <clears throat> just the process that I went through in my own family, just to feed everybody of what the people in the 18th or 19th century would have to do just in order to survive, like making right. sure. And I, I'm sort of thankful that it kind of reminded us, you know, that we shouldn't waste so much and, you know, right. and that idea has kind of stuck with me plus I just haven't gotten over it I keep saying to myself okay I better get all the flour (laughs) and yeast and oh the yeast of it all oh my goodness I'll tell you what that was very interesting but Barb actually shared with me when I was trying to figure out um we're plant-based right now so we do a lot of a lot of stuff that we use yeast for and I was trying to figure out how to get around it and you had told me about the potato starter right or was it my friend Wendy? But then you confirmed that it was a thing, <laughs> that you can start sourdough with a potato starter, right? Well, I don't use um, uh, a potato in mine. I just use regular flour and water. Wow. And, and butter or water? Water. Just oh. flour and water. And if you start with... Um, whole wheat flour or spelt flour or some rye flour that gets it a little bit of a kick to to start and you just let it sit out and and you keep feeding it every day sometimes you can do it two times a day and it will get um, bubbly and you can smell the sour sourness Mm -hmm. in it and after a couple days um you can use this. I've already just used this with no yeast at all. Wow. And it made a really nice high uh, loaf of bread. Now you have to use a, a pretty fair amount. I think it was maybe a cup of this, but you can do this just as you're leavening for a whole loaf of bread. Wow. And if you wanted to, you can even dry it. So I've dried some oh. here. Oh my you just take, I, I put it on parchment paper. So mm-hmm. I had a cookie sheet, put parchment paper on it, and just took a spatula and covered the parchment paper like you were kind of putting icing on a cake sure. and let it dry in the air. And in about two or three days, it was this, it looks like kind of like potato chips, sort of. Yeah, cool. So if you were traveling across country and you didn't want liquids splashing all over the place, you could dry it and then you just need to reconstitute this. You would need to feed it to to get active again. But that's how they could have transported uh, their sourdough starter. So that's That's that. you can make your own vinegar. So I'm making some vinegar here. Now this one, I just took some apple cider vinegar that was not pasteurized that mm-hmm. I got down at Hay Creek last week. And you can see it's foaming, it's yes. fermenting up on the top here. Now what will happen is this will get like a gel-like mother on the top of it. Right, cool. And and it makes the best apple cider vinegar. I did some last year, it, and yeah. it really is good. The other way you can make um, your own apple cider vinegar is if you take apple scraps, if you're mm-hmm. baking apple pie, mm-hmm. just 
fill your jar up, fill the rest of it, cover the scraps with water, put about uh, two teaspoons to a tablespoon of water, I mean, I'm sorry, sugar in there. Oh, and, wow. Uh, cover it with a cloth, just a napkin, and um, keep watching it for a couple days and it will start to uh, ferment. And as long as it's not getting moldy, mm -hmm. uh, after after it's about uh, two weeks or so, you can take the apple scraps out and just let that liquid continue to ferment and you'll get a mother on the top of that also. Oh, wow. Apple cider vinegar. Um, I also have some peas that I preserved here. Now these are in clarified butter. So clarified butter is when you just melt butter mm -hmm. and the milk solids drop to the bottom of the pan. So you're just going to take that clear liquidy butter mm -hmm. and pour it over top of your, your peas. And th these are probably three or four years old. Wow. That's incredible. I had no idea you could do that. Uh-huh. Yep. And That's then another way to, to preserve things is drying things. Mm. So this is, um, I think it was a little neck pumpkin. So I took pumpkin and sliced it and it dried just in the air, like down to nothing. They're so skinny oh. and little, but to use this, then you would reconstitute the, the uh, pumpkin put it in water and it would plump back up and you could use it in a pie. Oh, that's so neat. I also have some string beans that I'm uh, drying. I have them all twisted up here, but these are old ones here. Oh, wow. That are a couple of years old. And then I have some that I just strung earlier this week. So they're starting to lose some of their moisture. I have them just hanging um, on two knobs on a, a dresser, actually. Mm -hmm. So they'll take probably two weeks, maybe, to really dry out. What they would have done back then was either put them up in the attic or over the, the mantle uh, where there's some heat, and they would dry out quickly. OK, gotcha. Do you use a needle to them? Do you use a yeah. needle? Oh, gotcha. It, it's some linen thread, so it's nice and uh, sturdy. Nice. One of the things that I talked about too when I do this demonstration is uh, some of the things that a housewife was responsible for in the 18th century. So mm -hmm. now you must think of what we complain about today <laughs> yeah. that we have to do. So, <laughs> Now you must think that um, she probably has seven or eight children. Oh, Lordy. <laughs> Perhaps one of those children will, will die and not survive yes. because of some sort of illness. Mm -hmm. um, so she had to, you know, go through all those pregnancies. Mm -hmm. um, she had to still clean and care for the upkeep of the house. Um, she had to besides doing all that, had to care for all these children, you know, nurse all these children, take care of all the toddlers. Um, she had to take care of all the childhood diseases. Mm. Um, she had to make all the clothing for the mm. kids. So she probably had to spin the flax that was grown it was about an acre per, for each person that they would plant in flax to wow. get for their uh, clothing. So she had to make the, spin the, 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 uh, the flax to make the, the thread. Um, I don't know whether she would have woven the cloth or taken it to a weaver, but um, she had to make the clothing. She had to wash it, mend it. 
Um, she had to do all the baking and the cooking and preserving all the food. She had to do the gardening and the harvesting. Um, she had to also look for herbs because she also, besides cooking herbs, she used uh, herbs for medicinal purposes. Um, she had to do the dairying, which included milking and making butter and cheese for the family because making the butter and the cheese was how you preserved the milk. You couldn't right. probably drink all of the milk that uh, a cow or a goat gave you. Um, they probably had pigs because mm -hmm. pigs were easy to take care of and uh, she had to take care of the pigs um, as well as taking care of the chickens. So that was feeding them and gathering the eggs and when the chickens were done laying, they weren't of any use anymore. So then they became dinner. Mm -hmm. So you have to uh, butcher the chickens. Um, you save the, the feathers because they were useful in feather beds, etc. So you also had to help with the butchering uh, when you had to butcher a pig. Um, she would make the lard, uh, help with making the scrapple and salting and canning the meat smoking the meat if it was uh, necessary and making sausage. Um, she would make lye for making soap and she was the medicine maker and the medicine giver. Mm. So in her spare time, <laughs> <laughs> you know, everybody was self-sufficient. You didn't have a next door neighbor that you walked out the the door and just talked to next door. I mean, maybe you were half a mile or a mile or more away. Yeah. So you I, relied on each other. I always think um, it's funny because I went to visit the Fisher Homestead with um, um, Jean, oh, hang on, Stephen Georgie. Georgie Fisher gave me the tour. Um, and as you know, and many people who I've talked to because I talk about it a lot. Um, my great-grandfather grew up there and like our family, it's like a family um, homestead. But I'll never forget when she gave me the tour. And now I had been there as a child, of course, but when I was about five years ago or so, I went over um, the spring house and how the spring ran through it because they would have to lock themselves in there sometimes because they were so worried about, at the time, the Native Americans in the area, um, mm -hmm. there was a lot of there was a lot of um, conflict. She described it anyway. Um, but I just always think back to that, Barb, and think of imagining my family and I locked in the spring house and just the way of life so, so different. And another really interesting fact about that property is they had their, they, they got wealthy on flour, oh, um, okay. kept their flour in the attic, and then they had like a chute that would go down to the kitchen because the flour was so valuable. So it's really interesting. Um, just so, so different. And you know, it's so funny you mentioned that because I love that you talk about that because, you know, I was just saying to my mom the other day, you know, you know, it's not been that bad, you know, cause we have internet, we have like pickup service, we can go get our groceries. I mean, imagine the things that our ancestors had to go through. So I'm really glad that you pointed that out. It's very, very smart to rem remind people. Um, you know, I think as a teacher, a lot of why people were upset about school not starting back is because they rely on that for um, childcare. And yeah. just imagine, you know, and mom probably, the mother you're talking about probably had to school her children too and teach them things. Yeah. You know, there wasn't a one-room schoolhouse around. You know, we've watched a lot of Little House on the Prairie uh -huh. during quarantine, actually. And um, when we first start the show, they did not have a school close. And then it was a really big deal when they were able to go to a one-room schoolhouse. So that's really interesting too. She was probably teaching them as well, you know? Yeah. And, and then making all the, um, doing the knitting and the mending and just, it's really incredible. It's incredible work that um, these women did. And yeah, for sure puts things into perspective about the complaints. <laughs> yeah. And fast food, you know, we oh my do the drive-through now, but fast food in the 18 hundreds was mush. They <laughs> ate a lot of cornmeal mush. I don't even know what that oh, is. Can you explain mush to me? Or um, to I? Well, cornmeal 
cornmeal, uh, yeah. Is when you take, they would have actually used field corn. So okay. you can roast the cornmeal. That okay. makes it taste a little better. You can roast the corn before it's taken off of the cob. Gotcha. And, and then it's ground. You would take your corn to the, the feed mill. Right. And, and they would grind it for you and, and your flour. Mm -hmm. um, so then you take uh, about a cup of cornmeal and two cups of water. You bring your water to a boil moisten your cornmeal so that it's already wet when you add it to the boiling water okay and you cook it for any oh at least a half an hour until it softens up and it's not that appealing you put a little <laughs> salt in it they mm -hmm. would add molasses to it to make oh. it more appealing so what was left over they would put into a pan and it would congeal and you could slice it and they would fry it for breakfast the next day. Oh, that sounds good. <laughs> or they would take the, the hot uh, or warmed uh, mush and mix it with flour and a little yeast and make uh, mush muffins. Oh, Those are really good too. That sounds with, good. With butter, aha. Uh -huh. Yeah, and really good. I'll have to give you that recipe. Oh, that sounds so good. I was going to say mush, just the idea of it. Like we feed our kids oatmeal basically every morning and I feel like that's what they think it is. And it's like, it's like really good old fashioned oats with like soy milk that's tasty and has sugar in it and they get raisins. And I'm thinking like, you just need to understand what you could be eating if you were in the 18th century. Yeah. Cause it's delicious. Hunter, if he had mush when he was a kid. Yes. Probably, probably I will. I will definitely do that. I bet he did. Yeah, he probably loved it or something because he's so <laughs> opposite of <laughs> He probably loved it. Muffins, they sound really good. It reminds that me of been their supper. Oh, that okay. supper. It sounds so good. It's making my mouth water because I haven't made, um, I used to make a lot of cornbread. I don't know why. I used to make a lot of cornbread. And it's very, I love cornbread. It's so yummy. And we should do that. There's a recipe that I have, I think it was like a chi cheese recipe or something in the, in the, you know, in the aisle with the baked goods where you actually add creamed corn to the cornbread mix oh. and it's like really moist. Uh, oh my gosh. It's so good. It's really yes. good. And I just found, um, uh, earth balance puts out a plant-based, um, buttery spread and it's really tastes phenomenal like butter. Cause I do very mm -hmm. much butter. Butter is very good. And your butter was so fabulous. And my girls really enjoyed that. And a lot of my young um, male campers loved it too, my little guys. So that was a super fun, fun, exciting um, time for us. And I love that it's so much science too built into the things that you're sharing with the kids. So I think it's really neat. It really aligns with the Montessori school for sure. But in general, for people to come out to these events when we do start having them again, um, to see the things that you guys are doing, because it's really fun to watch. And I've always seen kids just be enamored by it. I mean. Uh -huh. Well, <laughs> and they get involved with the shaking of the, the yes. little plastic jars, you know, the, to make their own butter. Yeah. Some of them really get into it. It's really cool. It's neat to see too, the process of how things are made, even if it's not the same now, it's just neat to kind of get an idea about it. But I had yeah. no idea preserving eggs that way. That's so interesting. Yeah. So my wish for 2021 is that we can all get together and mm. see old friends yes. and do demonstrating again. Yes, we're really do our living history. Yes, we're really missing our events, especially Hemet Fest is, is definitely one of my favorites. Hemet Fest is one of my favorites because I love autumn and we're yes. missing very much and missing Rick too very much. Um, the whole crew over there at the Heritage Center, all the vendors and all of the um, volunteers, it's just a wonderful group of people. It's really like a family now. We've been going for many, many years. So it's a wonderful group of people. We love it there so it much. Is. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, I feel, um, I love the Folk Fest, but I feel like the Heritage Center is a smaller scale and you really get to know people very, very well. And they're all really wonderful people. Yeah. We enjoy going so much. But boy, have we had some weather at those events, right? I mean, 
Was it Human Fest last year where everything blew away, or a few years ago, probably? It was so windy the one year. Oh my glory, it was crazy. Oh, I don't remember. I don't remember. It was wild. So you've talked a lot about the the food preservation that you've done, and also I love. Um, whenever I look at your Facebook, I I always love the picture of the hand dyed. Um, it was wool, correct? Yeah. Hang yarn. Yeah. Do you call them skeins back in the day? I don't know. Yeah. Yeah, um, yeah I think they did. Yeah. Was that a, was that a hay creek? Because I feel like we, we ran into you at that time, I think. Or you also do the rug braiding demonstrations, which your work is gorgeous. I love the rug braiding so much, but you do the hand dyeing as well. And you've done a lot of work with Zach Langley with the hand dyeing, right? Yeah. Yep. Yep. He's a I did some. He uh, makes his own uh uniforms for his yeah. reenacting of his uh events and he needed a gray so we figured out how to make gray and i had some white wool so we dyed it gray and he was happy with it yep he was so made some navy blue yeah zach's a great guy zach langley is also a fellow that we met through the heritage center and used to I think he used to work there, right? Well, you've been going there yeah. a lot longer than us. I think that he was, he was like the director there for a while, I think. Oh, okay. I think. Something like I'm not that. sure, yeah. How long have you been going to the Heritage Center? How long have you been demonstrating there? Oh, goodness. I think it might be close to 10 years. Maybe. Oh, wow. It's at That's least really cool. 10 years, probably. Yeah, it's Seems a while. A lot of, a lot of changes in a lot I, of... Yeah, that means I'm old. <laughs> I know, I hear you. I totally forgot how old I was turning in January. So then I'm doing the math, Barb. So then I'm doing the math because I'm a math scholar, you know. So then I'm thinking of, as 2020, I was like, no, 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 I'm going to be 39 again because I was born in 81. But no, it's 2021 when I turn... 40. <laughs> oh, oh, well, I'm excited. I'm you excited. Can Jack Jack Benny. You can be Jack Benny. What did you he say? Used to say he, you can be Jack Benny. He used to always be 39. I love it. 39 You're too, young. Favorite. You're too young to remember Jack Benny. <laughs> I know the name, but I'm not sure how. <laughs> I know it's like, I, I brought up a reference yesterday with minors. Like, oh my gosh, I can't believe you don't know this. This makes me feel so very old. <laughs> like, um, so I had a couple questions for you. So um, we kind of touched on the educating thing. Um, so what's your favorite memory from an event I, or, or, or funny story? Like what's something that, that was one of your favorite moments or, or when you saw somebody have like an aha moment and really enjoyed something, do you have a favorite? Um, I, I think probably it's my funniest one, I think is the bladder. I think <laughs> <Yeah>. that <laughs> I get a kick, I get a kick out of the bladder. <laughs> Maybe they don't, but I do. <laughs> Well, you were a nurse for a very long time too. So you have like that, that also that education that can inform this work too. That's really kind of neat, you know? I mean, if you think about it, they had to know a lot of, they had to be experts in a lot of different ways, you know, to be able to work their way around these different things. It's very interesting. Yeah. Does that nurse ask you have a perverted sense of humor? Yeah. <laughs> I've been a Do nurse for 50 years. Yeah. Do any of the kids ever ask you what's a bladder? Like I could see that happening with like my kids would have no idea what a bladder is. <laughs> like, uh, there may have been one or two who asked, and if I just say about peeing, you know, then they they get it. <laughs> That's really funny. So funny. Yeah. Um. Uh, let's see. What do you want to talk at all about your early life? And your background and um, where you grew up in Berks County and how you became interested in doing this work. Um, that okay. would be really fun to hear that. Well, I w was born and raised in Geigertown, and actually, my father was instrumental in starting the Hay Creek Valley Historical Association, uh, right. as well as my uncle. 
And just recently, uh, the association has uh, reconstructed the wheelwright shop on the grounds. And they're going to call it the Fleming Wheelwright Shop. And oh, my maiden name was Fleming. My dad was George Fleming. And my dad demonstrated wheelwriting at the Hay Creek Festival early on for many years. And he made a bunch of uh, wheelbarrows and wagons. So I had several pieces that he made um, as well as the wheels for all of those things that he made. So I donated those to the organization and they're in the, the wheelwright shop. So they have a good home. So when I moved to an apartment from a house, I didn't have room to bring all those with me. Mm -hmm. And they've, they are at a place where they'll be loved and well taken care of. So I feel good about that. That's really so neat. I uh, grew up in Geigertown, went to Reading Hospital School of Nursing, and graduated there in 1970, and uh, spent about two years in Michigan, and then came back here and got into occupational health nursing and case management for workers' compensation. And I retired about six years ago and have enjoyed retirement immensely. Yeah. I have a lot of time to play with this kind of stuff now. That's nice. Yeah. Yeah, that's so cool. So you had um, a history of maybe watching your dad at these at these events and seeing him demonstrate. So you had that as a child. Yeah. Did you get him do that? Uh, yes. And I actually started oh. from the very beginning when um, Hay Creek started at actually at the St. James Lutheran Church back mm -hmm. in 1976, I think it was. And then I don't think I demonstrated the first year, but when it moved over to the fire company, I, I started demonstrating there and I've been involved ever since. So wow. I've probably been involved with the organization for over 40 years. Wow. I had no idea you had that, um, history with them. So what were you demonstrating when you started early on? Were you doing um, rug braiding or were you working with food preservation? Uh, it was rug braiding. Oh, yeah. nice. Yeah. 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 Your rugs are incredible. I love them so much. <laughs> yeah. I have them in my apartment here. So, Do you? Yeah. Oh, that's cool. So um, as far as the rug braiding goes, I know we've talked extensively about this because I had read somewhere, who knows where, I read all kinds of stuff. Like that I could just use any scraps, any old scraps and make a rug. Um, so I started one when I was substituting a lot. When I first moved to Boyertown, I was subbing a lot at Boyertown. And I would sub at the high school for the ceramics teacher. And these kids would have no need for me, really, except for me just to be there. So I'd be sitting there braiding my rug with the old, um, old fabrics from my grandmother. But you had told me that it's really best for something like wool would be a really good one to use. And it's really to as to use it as a proper rug that it would be needing to have some more <laughs> substantial um, material right. to use. Um, I have a very romantic view of using everything and using all the scraps. <laughs> well, that's okay if you wanted to use it for a rug that would be in a bedroom, like next to the bed where you don't get a high traffic. Right. <laughs> or, or like a place or something. Yeah, someplace where it doesn't get high traffic. Yes, because I started. If, it, <laughs> if it's cotton, maybe in the bathroom. It is cotton. It is very cotton. And the thing that's, um, it's it's a beautiful vintage um, cotton. But at my grandmother's house, things would uh, degrade, and some of the cottons are really not not doing too great. But I suppose with a rug, you wouldn't really wash it anyway. But um, you know, maybe in the bathroom, you'd need to be able to wash it. But I really loved that. I just love, since I was a child, I love braiding. I just love braiding so much. I love the feeling. Um, but Hunter and I were actually just talking about this last night because when I, when I do hex signs and I cut with a knife um, and make like a stencil, I do it very like, 
I will hold my knife so hard. And what ends up happening is I cause a little carpal tunnel tingles, you know? Oh. I, I do the same with braiding and knitting. Like I do it with a lot of tension. And it's just, I try and train myself, like stop knitting so tight, but I just can't. So it's one of these things that it's just like a personality thing. <laughs> but um, I loved your, your rug braiding demonstration that I saw at Hay Creek was really neat. Um, well, I don't know if you were demonstrating as much as you were, I forget how you were, you had them all out and they're so beautiful. For some reason, I remember what I was demonstrating you, too. Uh, I was making a chair pad, I think something yeah. small. And you had a watermelon or something. Is that right? Yes, I did have a watermelon. Yeah. Uh-huh. Yeah, I made I, that years ago. I think it was a class that I took. Oh, cool. It's so funny though that you mentioned about, you know, the things that we complain about because to be quite honest with you, I had gotten really sick of vending. Um, and I didn't really spend much time at the at the folk fest this past one that we were able to do, not this year, but the one before. And going through this whole process, it's really made me long for that connection again it's really difficult um when you're so used to having that direct connection to the people that are purchasing your work and giving you feedback and then it's sort of like you've lost your muse or your um, uh -huh. against direct connection but yeah it's definitely put things into perspective and made me appreciate it a lot more so i'm also for 2021 looking very much forward to us picking back up and being able to be with people that are just really incredibly thankful and grateful that we are doing the things that we do and sharing our living history knowledge and being able to demonstrate these really cool things. And it's such a fun day too at the Heritage Center because um, usually the weather's kind of nicer. It's not quite as hot as the folk fest. Yes. And yes. people can really just spend the whole day. I mean, I have so many friends that'll come and just spend the whole day, you know, with their family, it's really a lot of fun. So, um, so that was a really funny story. What was another one that I wrote? Oh my God, my questions. <laughs> um, what is your favorite process or food to work with? What's your favorite thing to do? It can be at the time or in general. Um, what's your favorite thing to do in all the things that you do? Um. I like baking bread because it never turns out the same oh. every time. You know, it's different every time. And you can do so many different things like the mush muffins or your Welsh cakes. Oh, yeah. That's really true. That's a really good one. I, I just like bread. Yeah, I like, I like to eat it too. <laughs> it's so funny. We got really into making bread and, and pretzels. Uh-huh. And I sourdough pretzels. Those were excellent. I never knew that they were so similar, making pretzels and making bread. So I learned a lot of this, like just getting in there and making this stuff. Yeah, it's really cool. I, I think I tend to agree with you. Making bread's the best because really you take your base recipe and you can change it up and jazz it up any way you want but really once you get a hold on how to make the like i'll do a lot of different muffins and every time they're kind of a little different, i'll experiment a lot which is a lot of fun but yeah bread yeah. is fun to do uh -huh. bread is fun. and pizza which is bread yeah it's all yeah. like all yeah. good i love to make pizza and don't you feel I, i'm sure you 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 feel this way as well or you wouldn't take the time to do it there's such um i think I think it's, there's this theory of, or not theory, or this idea of like mindful eating, which is like where you think very, you're like focused on what you're doing and you're eating. And it's, it's to help people like control their impulse to overeat and stuff like that. But also what's neat about it is that when you're eating the things that you've spent all this time creating, or you've watched a person demonstrating how they're creating this amazing dish and all the work that goes into it and the love really, um, it makes you appreciate it more. And I feel like getting more into cooking, um, especially during this season of COVID and quarantine, um, despite the fact that it's taken a lot of time, which can be sometimes problematic and stressful, but it, it ends up being really enjoyable because it's something that we can do together, but it's also something that, you know, makes you feel really good that you made this, you know? So yeah. I'm sure you have the same feeling and I'm sure 
you know, something that Barb always does is she puts out samples, which is really nice. And yes. I think when the child or the adult is watching what you're doing and then able to taste the sample and they're making that connection too, that is really neat. Um, and it's just a lot of fun to learn that way, you know. Or I'll make at home, I'll make a, a big batch of mush muffins. So I'll have some butter on mush muffins and I'll ask someone if they want a mush muffin and they'll say, what? What is that? <laughs> You know, so then you explain to them what they did with the leftover mush and, you know, so it's, it's a constant education. Yes. Because they have, the visitors have no idea exactly. what you can do with leftover mush, you know. Yeah, it's incredible. And the thing is, I always think about it as kind of planting a seed, even if they don't overtly like take notes and stuff, it's like uh -huh. they're going to remember, you know, it becomes like, like I said, with watching the vendor or the, um, not vendors, um, maybe the reenactors or living historians at the, uh, gosh, I have been when I was like eight years old, oh, you know, yeah. the feeling yeah. of watching people make something from scratch just really like set fireworks off in my head. And it made me really excited because it felt like, I felt really excited by like, oh, can I do something all by myself and make this work? It was really, really fun. But yeah, I remember the lie and I just remember I don't know if it was my grandfather or my grandmother, but just being like, it's so dangerous. Like, be really careful. <laughs> always like, everything was very, you know, you had to be very careful. But I am very grateful to my grandfather for, grandmother for exposing us to those things at a young age, because even though we weren't getting it overtly, it did uh -huh. carry through. So I'm sure you're making a huge impact with the wonderful contributions that you've given the community and all of the events that you partake in. And, and, you're, such, and you're such a joy to be around too, Barb. You have a great personality and, and a happy, joyous spirit. Is there anything you wanted to talk about before I kind of un end it and close that? Um, um, just that each year I try to add a, a little something different than I did the year before to yeah. change it up a little bit uh, and learn something extra. So I've, I've not really done much in the way of research this year because there's no events, but right. I'll be researching over the course of the next year and try to find something new and exciting to add to my repertoire. Oh, that's <laughs> fun. I can't wait to see. I'm so excited. Um, do you know anything about Mount Mary? A little bit. There was a uh, where did I read something about her recently? On Facebook, maybe? I know there was a couple really great articles that I found recently, but um, I'm trying to work on a project about her and it's just, it's really gonna have to be so much um, artistic license, which makes me a bit nervous with somebody so, so well loved and well um, thought of from our area, but I know, um, we had the woman at the Heritage Center that used to dress up. And I know Rick took a really cool picture of her. Um, but yeah, there's not much, much information. There's some articles, but it's a little, it's a little tricky. I think this article said that she was, her husband did not die or her boyfriend did not die in the service. In oh, okay. the war. I'll have to see if I can find that again. Yeah, I'm, I think it was a Pennsylvania Folklife article that I found about her that was really good and a lot of detail that we have never heard before. But yeah, there's, um, I still haven't been able to go and visit because it's very tricky. Um, it's on like a really high like road <laughs> and a little tricky to get yeah. to. Yeah, I don't Side note, know sorry. Exactly <laughs> where she lived, uh, you know, to find it. Mm -hmm. Yeah, we know where it is, but it's private I know property. It's near Hill Church. Yeah, it's actually it's on Mountain Mary Road, and it's like private property, and I don't feel comfortable just like walking up. <laughs> and you know, Hunter is a little different. He went on his bike and he just walked up, and um, I think the people weren't home. He tried to knock, but then he just went to see. But he had gone to her like grave site, and I'm much more interested in the little house. It's very cool, but um, someday, someday. Someday we'll get over there, but <clears throat> excuse me. Um, 
So just to wrap things up, Barb, thank you so much for joining us. And I wanted to ask you um, what you have, some future goals or things that you have in mind to work on. You said you like to always create something new for, for the next year to show people. So um, is there anything that you've heard that kind of sparked your interest that you might be interested in um, pursuing? Um, I don't really have anything in mind right now. I just need to, uh, I'm always looking at things online, but I haven't really found anything that piqued my interest just yet. I keep looking yeah. and, and you just find that thing that is wow. You know? Yeah. Yeah. So I, I am kind of interested in the medicinal side of things. What was I going to ask you? Uh, last, last year, I dug up some plantain from the yard. That's all my yard was where I lived before. But uh, <laughs> it's amazing all the medicinal uses that plantain had. Wow. Everything from drawing out uh, infection to women's problems. Wow, that's incredible. It, yeah. So there, there are tons of things that um, the housewife used for mm -hmm. medicinal purposes. And I thought, well, maybe I could research some of that and add a little bit of that. But uh, you don't want to get too big that you have people there for a half an hour. Yeah. You know. Yeah, I hear you they want to see all the other things too. So I don't want to be talking for half an hour to people because we yeah. have a good display. Yes. And you can talk to somebody for 15 minutes easily mm -hmm. with what we have already. Yeah. Um, yeah. And I mean, I'm thinking of dandelions for some reason, because I know they have a lot of value too medicinally. Um, I'll have to share a book with you. I have it here. Uh, let me see. Hang on. This might be a, a neat book to look through. Um, ooh, called Healing Wise. This is a good Healing one. Wise. I got a few years ago and it has a bunch of really cool um, information in it. But I know what you mean about, you know, it's like this, this age old thing of people with all... <laughs> All these ideas of what I should do next and I'm just sitting here like well I sort of have the next five years filled up with all the things that I need to do next so I know what you mean about honing in on like something and focusing um, just to keep it streamlined I totally understand what you mean with that but um I'm, I'm very interested in how to grow garlic but <laughs> it's oh. uh -huh. they use garlic in the 18th and 19th century I know um, what do you know of? I don't know. I imagine they did. Like I know with pickling brine, there's always garlic, like the contemporary recipes and you get that potent taste. But I'm so curious about when garlic sort of came into the picture, but. I don't know. <laughs> well, then there's something for me to look up. There you go. Garlic is like my main, my main thing. It's so funny. I'm sure like our entire family smells like garlic. <laughs> You know, it omits on your skin. I might be more Italian than I am Pennsylvania Dutch. I don't know. I love garlic. So <laughs> well, thank you so much, Barb. It's been such a pleasure. Well, this thank is you. I enjoyed it. I know that my listeners are going to really enjoy this so much. So I really appreciate your time. And your apartment looks wonderful. I did want to ask you, um, you have quite a beautiful collection of artwork as well. And, you know, just... Um, just right behind you. Whose work is that? That's so gorgeous. You see, it's Redware, right? That is only Redware Pottery. Oh, yes. Yes. So beautiful. Barb is, has a wonderful collection of artwork and um, from wonderful uh, local craftspeople. Really gorgeous collection. That's the only Redware I kept. I sold all my other Redware. <laughs> oh, it's so gorgeous. I'm so proud of you. It's so hard to downsize. I know my mom's my mom's getting ready to move too. It's very difficult, you know, to part with things. And you had such a beautiful collection, really beautiful. So thank you for sharing time with us. Rick is a wonderful guy too. And Rick, um, um, by way of, 
of Barb donated a lot of wonderful art supplies um, to us, our family, and by way of our family to my school. So thank you all very much. We actually have been using some of his brushes. They're wonderful. And I really, really appreciate okay. Please well, let him said hello and we miss him so much too. A really wonderful photographer and, and was a professor of art for a long time. It was Lehigh Valley, right? Am I right? Lebanon Valley. Lebanon Valley. I knew Lebanon it was one Valley of the college. Yeah. <laughs> Lebanon Valley College. So please give us or give him our warm regards and we miss you all both so much. And I can't wait to see you again in person, Barb, and give you a big hug. I know we're yes. gonna have we're gonna have to do um something where we're gonna do hula hoop rug braiding with my children, right? With t-shirts. Yeah. Yep. Something we need to do. That will be so much fun. So good to see you, Barb. Thank you so much for your time. Good to and see you too. Bye. And I'll talk to you soon. Max Gut. Max Gut. All right, Barb. Bye-bye. Bye. -bye. Bye.